If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And today, today, listeners, we are having an incredible conversation with Mazarine Trays about how you can make your dreams of becoming a consultant come true. Let me share with you a little bit about Mazarine. She has been on the podcast before. It was actually, though, I have to admit, such a long time ago, I had to go back and look up the number. It was episode 120, and, and I think this is going to be episode 260-something or 270-something, so it's been a while. It's long overdue for us to have Mazarine back on. And I'll also share with you, Mazarine is incredible because she is on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast. We're recording this at 5 a.m. her time. And so you just think about that for a minute. That means she was probably up at 3.30 or 4 so that she could be a part of this podcast. And that is, I have to say, awe-inspiring and incredible. And what's more, <laughs> she showed up with a smile on her face and happy. I was like, wow, that is truly awesome. But so for 13 years, Mazarine has provided fundraising consulting and planning services through her company, Wild Woman Fundraising. In addition to that, she is also a successful author, speaker, and consultant. But her consulting practice and her work has made an interesting shift over the last couple of years. When you go to her websites, and she's got a couple of them, and of course we'll talk about those at the end of the show, but when you go to her websites, you'll see that well, maybe she's still doing a little bit of the more traditional fundraising consulting. She's doing a lot more coaching and individual one-on-one -on -one work and producing conferences as well as books and courses to help people become everything they can be. And so she's recently launched a podcast and a mastermind called Ask for More. And part of what I love about that from a fundraising perspective, and I know she and I are probably going to talk about this, is that's not just fundraising. Don't just ask for more for your organization. Ask for more for your life. And oh my gosh, I'm so excited about having that conversation. So today we're going to be talking about how to really make that leap, how to become a consultant if you're currently in the nonprofit sector and have always dreamed about it. And also if you are a consultant, 
how to be able to sustain yourself as a consultant. And let me share with you my dirty little secret from my very first job in the nonprofit sector. Literally, we're talking almost 30 years ago. I always dreamed about becoming a consultant. I actually remember in my third year, I've been having a lot of success as a grant writer thinking, huh, maybe I should go out and launch my own grant writing firm. But something held me back. So let me stop there. Let me introduce Mazarine, and we're going to get this conversation started. Hey, Mazarine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Dolph. I am so thrilled that you're here. And again, thank you for getting up at, at earlier than oh, dark 30 to be on the podcast. <laughs> I'm excited to talk with you again. Last time we had such a good time. We did. We absolutely did. And, and I kind of said this in the intro where I remember, gosh, at the age of 24 or 25 thinking, oh, yeah, I want to be a consultant. But I think I was, I've got to do some quick math here. I think I was 44, 45 before I actually made the leap. So, you know, it took me 20 years from that first initial, oh, yeah, I'd love to do consulting at some level to actually work up the nerve and feel like I had the experience in order to make that leap. And I also know in my own consulting practice, I often have people who, I, who I've known throughout my career who will reach out to me and say, hey, Dolph, can you talk to me about becoming a consultant? And we'll have two or three or sometimes even four conversations. And at the end of the day, they're like, yeah, I have a secure job. I, I just don't think I'm down for that. So Mazarin, help me understand what, what holds people back from making that leap. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's human nature to be afraid of the unknown, to be afraid of change, and to really want to hold on to a sure thing. And what we've seen in the last two years is that, well, safety and security can also be a myth. And so a lot of people are getting more dissatisfied with their jobs, a great resignation, uh, and thinking about consulting in a larger way and I'm excited about that because I feel like nonprofits are long overdue for a wake-up call about how they treat their employees. And honestly, consultants are listened to more and they can do really good jobs if you hire them. And uh, it's not necessarily a gig economy, like gig economification of fundraising per se. I would say more it's about uh, consultants becoming um, bigger influencers in the shape of where the sector is going. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And it's one of the reasons I actually decided to become a consultant was I looked at where my career had been and I thought to myself, okay, I maybe, you know, have another 20 years left in my career and I could maybe be an executive director and have a big impact with two or three more organizations. Or I can move into consulting and have a big impact with dozens or potentially hundreds of organizations. And for me, that was that that sense of impact and purpose is kind of part of what brought me to, to consulting. A couple other things did too, but that's part of what brought me. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I have really loved so many different missions, but uh, sometimes, you know, when you're involved in these missions, they don't pay you well enough. And then you start to realize, oh, um, but they're really paying this consultant a lot and they're listening to them. How do I do that? You know, what do they have that I don't have? And the actual fact is they spent their time building up their business. That's really the literal difference. Like I've had plenty of nonprofit experience, but I haven't worked full time in a nonprofit in quite a while. And it's, uh, it's really nice to just go back and say, wow, okay, I can go into this nonprofit, tell them what's wrong, and then unplug and go back to my life. 
Mm-hmm. It's one of the things I've always really loved about being a consultant. Uh, you know, most of my work is with boards and chief executives, but I I love the fact that I can go and just speak unvarnished truth to the board, and I can do it knowing that they don't evaluate me next year. They don't decide how much money I'm going to make next year. They don't even decide whether or not I'm going to have a job next year. And there's something about being able to do that that really changes the dynamic. It allows me to speak truth, but also, interestingly enough, they hear it. As you kind of said, they hear it more from me. And I think part of that is like they think to themselves, well, we're paying off a lot of money to come in and tell us this. So we should we should shut up and listen. Oh, yeah. And on top of that, like consultants are raising their rates like crazy and they still have waiting lists right now because people are like, how do we deal with this tremendous amount of change? And so I worked with a grant writing consultant uh, in 2020 and 2021 and helped her raise her rates 67% so that she could have more time hiking with her friend and in her garden. And she was like, I can't believe this. We did this. And I said, yeah, we did. Like, I, I think there's a pandemic of undercharging. Sorry, I shouldn't say pandemic. I should say an epidemic of undercharging <laughs> as well. But we can talk about that too. It's interesting you say that because I, I raise my rates pretty much every year. And mm-hmm. and where I'm a little bit unusual is I'm pretty open source about my rates. So literally, like, I just put it on the website, like strategic planning, you know, here's the range that we're going to charge in. And coaching, here's what it costs for a year of coaching. We're really, really open source about that. But my, my general rule of thumb is I raise my rates when I'm a busier than I want to be. Mm-hmm. And then typically but within about 10 to 12 months, I'm at this point again where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm busier than I want to be. Why am I this busy? And then normally um, my co- a colleague or um, a consultant in another, in another practice will remind me of my general philosophy is when I'm busier than I want to be, it's time to raise my rates again. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And my and my take on this is as long as I keep reaching that point, it's okay for me to keep raising my rates. And when I do reach a point where I raise my rates and suddenly I'm like, oh, wait, I don't have work. Okay, then it's time for me to reconsider it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, being a consultant also allows you to like think of where do I want to grow my business that's not in the nonprofit sector as well. Like I've also done a lot of government contracting over the years using my fundraising skills to help teach small businesses how to contract with the government. And uh, I'm about to do a few more like that again this year. And it just feels so freeing to know that you can also step away from these problems that have bothered you for years and just be like, that's okay. That's not my problem. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's interesting you say that because over the last couple of years, I've actually had some for-profit companies approach me and they ask, do you work with for-profits? And my response is always, well, it's not against my religion. You know, we, 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 have, to, we have to have a value alignment here. So, you know, so I'm pretty clear that I'm not going to work with a for-profit that sells guns or, you know, <laughs> does things that I think are wrong. But it, working with for-profits isn't against my religion. It, again, it, as long as the values are there and they're shared, I'm I'm good with working with folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. So I know you've been doing a lot of coaching with um, early stage career shifters. So people going from the nonprofit sector as an employee to becoming a consultant. Talk to me about that a little bit. Like what are some of the challenges that they're facing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also do it with seasoned consultants as well, um, helping them raise their rates. Uh, but the challenges that uh, early stage consultants often have is just like, where do I find clients? How do I make myself look good on the internet? How do I specialize? What do I specialize in? 
you know, I have a degree in this, does this mean I'll be good at that? And the way I help people solve that problem is sitting down with them over the course of several different sessions. Sometimes we'll use their strengths finder. Sometimes we'll use their human design or their jinkies. Um, and other times we'll just be talking about what tasks they find satisfying. And to go from there, we'll be able to kind of narrow down into what they should be focusing on. And when you do narrow down, you can absolutely gain so much more. A friend of mine who specializes in one specific area as a consultant and started doing this when she was 25 now is making one to three K a month in passive income as a consultant and has two clients. She's a two clients that are paying her multi six figures a year. So I'm so proud of her and I'm so excited for her. And she's like, I think in her ninth year of business now, 10th year of business. And she, you know, started almost immediately after college. So anyone can do this. Anyone can make money with this. There's 1.2 million nonprofits in the U S and you just have to decide, do I want to do a specific kind of cause or do anybody or certain kinds of folks? Like you said, I uh, tend not to work with religious organizations. That's not my jam. Um, but other people, there's, there's so many people out there that will do that. You know, mm -hmm. I want to unpack a little bit of this. The, the first though is I know you said passive income and actually I'll share with you one of my favorite podcasts as a business person is one called Smart Passive Income. Love, 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 love that podcast with, with Pat Flynn. But I also don't want to make the assumption that everyone in our audience knows what passive income is. So, so you said someone's making a thousand or 3000 a month in passive income. What is that? Yeah. So passive income is just money that comes in and you don't have to do anything to have it come in. Some people do investing that way. They have mutual funds, whatever. Um, this is more like you are known for something. You do SEO around it. Uh, and then people come to your website. They say, I want this freebie. They get put into what's called a funnel where they get emails regularly. And then eventually they buy whatever it is. Maybe it's a course, maybe it's a book. Um, she also has a book on Amazon. So as an example, and that just sells itself every month. Yeah. And, and so that passive income is something that you put the work in up front and then it generates income. It's a variable amount of income, but it generates income every month. So maybe it's a course or a book or whatever. Yeah. 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 And, and I'll share with you, I, I agree with you. I do think for consultants that it is so critical that they find ways to generate passive income. So that way, if they go on vacation or sabbatical or they go to sleep, they're still earning money. Right. And I mean, some people could be like, I know one guy, um, I know he had a retainer for like $60,000 from an organization that you just call once a month and say, hey, do you uh, need me? And they're like, we don't need you yet. And he's like, okay. So that's another way you can pass income when people give you a retainer and they just don't call you. But I mean, obviously that's like the dream. <laughs> yeah, that that is 100% the dream. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, I, I will say I, I have yet to have the client is like, we're just going to pay you 5k a month and, you know, call us once a month and we'll put you off. <laughs> I, I don't think they meant to, but it happens. And like that happens too, because when you're a consultant, you bring up people's stuff and they're not ready to do whatever you tell them to do. And so you have to manage that psychological process as well with them, like help hold them in their discomfort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So when you were talking about some of the challenges that those career shifters that are moving into consulting face, um, there's two I'd love for us to talk about. One is how to find clients. Because I know in my first year, there were some techniques that I used to find those first clients. But I'm curious, like, how does that new consultant find clients in, in 2022? 
Well, I've talked to hundreds of consultants and small businesses over the years. And I will tell you, Dolph, the thing that people are afraid to do and the thing that works the best and how most small businesses I know get clients is referrals. That's it. That's all it is. You don't have to go on social media. You don't have to have a website. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is tell people, this is who I want to work with, and then talk to the kind of people that can say, I will refer you. It's funny. You and I are on the same page, and and that's what I did seven or eight years ago when I started my practice. I literally, you know, this was definitely pre-pandemic, but um, I took everyone to coffee who I knew who might be able to refer and and just kind of wanted to share with them what I was doing. This is what I'm doing. This is the type of consulting I want to do. These are the my ideal kind of client. If you, if you hear something, let me know. And, you know, it took a couple months before I got my first client, but after that, you know, there's just kind of been a steady stream of clients. And, and I've also found that clients, two things, clients beget clients in two ways. So I found that I get a client and they'll come back for other things. So like maybe I'll do strategic planning and then suddenly they're bringing me in every year for their board retreat until three or four years later when they're like, oh, it's time to do strategic planning again. But, you know, we we in the nonprofit sector, when we've been executive directors, development directors, et cetera, you know, we often make referrals. Well, people will go, oh, you know, who could you recommend for this or for that? And, you, and you'll say, oh, well, I brought this consultant in. They were great. You need to call them. And that's the kind of referral that, like, we can't pay for. Like, there, there's just no way to get that kind of referral by paying. Mm-hmm. It's true. As we know from um, various marketing texts that people believe what other people say about you more than what you say about you. So having those testimonials, if you're a new consultant, get testimonials from people that you've worked for before. It's okay. You're allowed to talk about what you did with other organizations as an employee. That's okay. Mm -hmm. So one of the other big um, obstacles you said that sometimes new consultants will bring to you is, how do I create a web presence? And, And I know you've already said, well, that's not necessary. What about those consultants like, yeah, but I really feel like I should have a web presence. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can make an about.me page or whatever. Like you can um, use your Instagram. I've seen some people do that, but now Instagram has become such a uh, algorithm driven nightmare. I don't want you to have to also become a video producer on top of this. Uh, you know, people are doing TikTok and things like that. I have a friend who's in her fifties, who's a wonderful grandma, who's a consultant started, you know, in 2020. And she's like, I have to get on TikTok. I was talking to her this week and I was like, you don't have to get on TikTok. You really don't. You had so much business. Like you, you, she's like, I do. I'm like, Mm-mm. so, I mean, honestly, a LinkedIn profile will do just fine in the beginning and that's free. So you can just do that. And then when you get some money in, you can have a, a website. Yeah, that, that's certainly fair. I, I will share with you, I have a strong bias toward building my own contact list, whether that's by email that I'm actually emailing people to or just my own contact list where I'm like, oh, I can call this person for this thing and this other person for something else versus social media because of the algorithm issue. Uh, you know, and, and so and so like, you know, you, you might have 20,000 followers in a Facebook group and Suddenly, Facebook can decide they're going to change how they push out groups, or they can decide they're going to eliminate groups. And suddenly, boom, you just lost 20,000 people who you've been communicating with, and you have no control and no power over it. I had an Instagram account earlier this year that because I use a VPN, which is a virtual private network, they just banned my account. They thought I was a bot. 
I had had that account since 2015, I want to say. I didn't have a ton of followers, but I was like, wow, I uh, wish I had saved some of those pictures. You know, I had no idea this is going to happen. And that you're saying what I said in my second book, Dolph, uh, The Problem's Guide to Social Media. After I wrote that book, I became deeply ambivalent about any form of social media whatsoever. I thought that, uh, yeah, the the minuses really outweigh the pluses in so many ways with this. Uh, I'm not going to go into great depth. That That's not what this interview is about. But I will say that play in your own backyard. Someone else can always take your ball away if you play in other people's backyard. And that's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I'm also just saying, like, for me, I, and I'm this way now as an experienced consultant, but I think as a new consultant, you can invest a lot of time in social media and you're probably not going to see the payoff you want. And whatever payoff you do see could literally just be taken away overnight. What about trying to get on podcasts? Because like, I know you've got a podcast, I've got a podcast. And um, I know early on in my consulting journey, I there were not nearly as many podcasts, but I kind of made a point of reaching out to podcasters in the nonprofit space and saying, hey, I have a book out. Can I come and talk to you about my book? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Podcasts are great. I mean, I feel like they're very valuable um, and not as good as referrals. Agreed. I And I agree with you a hundred percent. Although I will say every time I've been on a podcast, not unlike every time I've spoken at a conference, I typically get at least one client from it. Now it's often not, you know, uh, the largest client I've ever had, but I typically get at least one client from it. And sometimes it takes a year or 18 months. I'll be surprised that I'll be on a podcast or even, you know, something that that's not um, evergreen. So, you know, a podcast is around for theoretically forever, but, you know, like you go and you speak at a conference and then it's 18 months later that I'll get a call. You spoke at the, you know, executive director bootcamp conference and we really want to talk to you about strategic planning um, because there's just something about it where people remember you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, I'm actually doing a webinar at the end of June. We're going to talk about how to get clients through speaking gigs and specifically through webinars, because personally, this is my controversial opinion. It's not safe to be in person. Uh, coronavirus is still killing people. I'm I'm not going to do it. So I want to teach people how to still get clients through speaking gigs, but doing it online. I love it. Th- that's awesome. And actually, during the pandemic, we started to do webinars as well. And we found them to be a great way to engage our core audience. I've done them since 2010, and I love doing them. Um, but you have to be able to do them right. So that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit. That's very cool. Now, I know you also have another event coming up. Um, You're working with some colleagues on a nonprofit consulting conference that's also going to be online. Yes, it's called the Nonprofit Consulting Conference presented by Foundant Technologies. And um, they are our title sponsor. um, So excited to have them. Uh, Yeah, we've got, we're selling tickets every day for that. We have so many really incredible speakers for that. Dr. Beth Browning, who's a legend in the field, is going to talk about how to deal with conflict as a consultant. Andy Robinson's going to talk about his favorite topic. Uh, he's written many, many books on boards and fundraising, and he's going to talk about how to become a consultant and how to how he's sustained his business with speaking as well. Um, and so those are just two of the many speakers we're going to have over two days. So we'll also have a panel on passive income. So all the things we've been talking about, you can learn there. I know, uh, real quick, for folks that are interested in finding out more, how do they find out more? Go to nonprofitconsultingconference.com, or you can go to my website, mazarinepraise.com or other people's. You'll see it around. Uh, We're posting on LinkedIn everywhere, but yeah, 
check it out. That's awesome. And I will share with you, um, it's something that I might go to. And Lexi is also, look, my colleague Lexi is also looking at going to it. So it's something we're very excited about. I'd love to have you come and Lexi too. That'd be wonderful. Absolutely. And I think one of the things as consultants we often don't do is invest in our own continuing education. You know, so back when we were employees, we always had this expectation that our employer would send us to AFP conferences or executive director leadership conferences or whatever. And then we become a consultant. And suddenly when when it's our budget, we're like, oh, I, I don't know if I can afford to do it. And so I know in my practice, I we set aside money for continuing it every year. And and it's interesting because like it is obviously very self-directed. Like I know one year I actually decided to hire a speech coach so that I could get better, frankly, at both presenting, but also on the podcast. And I would be able to present better as a podcaster. Oh my gosh, what a great experience. It was not inexpensive because I hired a speech coach that works with for-profit executives. So it was not inexpensive, but what a great experience. Oh yeah. I mean, in 2019, I hired a business coach for $12,000. Wonderful. Best decision I ever made. I finally learned how to do sales. It, my income so took off, you know, after I hired a coach. Um, and then I, since the pandemic started, I've really been working with, uh, Kasia Urbanic of um, the Academy, and she's been instrumental in helping me understand, you know, how we hold ourselves back as women specifically. And for any women listening to this, you're going to have your mind blown in so many ways um, if we work together. But anyway, anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to start pitching myself right on your uh, podcast well, too much. Well, real quick, um, can we talk about that? Some ways that some ways that you know women are maybe holding themselves back. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the nonprofit sector is 75 to 80% women. Cis women, obviously, there's some genders that, you know, it's harder to get representation from. When we enter the sector, we often enter it from a position, I don't know about other people listening, of having to do all of this care work in the beginning of our lives. Uh, Doing unpaid care work is what makes capitalism go. So, uh, this is why... When we start getting into nonprofits, we get paid very little. My first job was $27,000 a year in New York City. And um, before that, I had an unpaid internship at Planned Parenthood. So, like, um, that was in New York City as well. I eventually had to beg for, like, just pay for my train ticket, you know? So, the point is that, as you and I talked about before we started recording, Belf, when you start out making this little, it really, over time, makes you have way less assets than other people that get paid more and more over time. So we don't ask for enough straight away because of societal conditioning. We uh, are also in this nonprofit industrial complex that was built on Puritanism, which was built on, you know, white supremacy, colonialism, all of these things that are basically built on, um, you know, assumptions that, oh, well, you'll have someone else to take care of you, or this is just charity work and money is bad. And, you know, you have all these things going around in our minds all the time. And so this is why I really, really love uh, working with women specifically around the self-actualization work of being a consultant. And it is a self-actualization journey. Like I am such a more whole person since I started consulting, you know, to now. And it's just, it's incredible. It's not something I expected, but when you are really in control of your time, who you work with, And, you know, your processes, you start to understand this is what makes me 
come alive. And this is what makes me not come alive. And then you're like, great, well, how can I do more? What makes me come alive? You know, and you really get to decide that for yourself and find your right people. Hmm. That's awesome. That That is truly, truly awesome. And I know you and I did have that conversation before we hit record, but yeah, the, the frankly, financial disparity between those of us in the nonprofit sector and those that go to work in the for-profit sector, or even, frankly, the government sector in most cases, is so stark. It's just so stark. And, and it's like we've come to just accept the fact that we either have to be a person of privilege or we have to consign ourselves to living in poverty most of our lives. Yeah, and that's screwed up. <laughs> Agreed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let me be clear. I'm not saying that's a good system. Let me be clear. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, even now we're seeing wages have stagnated across the board since the 70s. And so we're seeing a great resignation. We're seeing nonprofits being like, you just can't find good help these days. I've been talking about this for two years and, and I'm really happy this is happening, honestly, because I want people to stop tolerating nonsense. I want them to stop staying in bad situations, even if it feels safe. You know, what's really safer is you having a financial future where you can save for retirement and take all the vacation you want because you're not burned out because, you know, somebody said, well, the cause is so important. You'll, you have to work, you know, so much, you know, I mean, especially now with the pandemic and everybody's feeling just traumatized by the whole thing. This is a great time to go work for yourself. It is. It's the best time. And I'll also say, there are more ways to provide yourself with the benefits you need than ever before. So, because yes. I do think that's the other obstacle that sometimes hold people back. They'll say, well, what about healthcare? There's no one else's healthcare plan I can get on. All of that is in this day and age. Thank you, President Barack Obama. Obama. Yep. Thank yeah. you, President Barack Obama. And this day and age, that's figure outable, you know, or. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, and, and I'll say, like, it's funny because now I get to have the healthcare I want. Mm-hmm. Because my business, which I own and run, gets to figure out what healthcare it is I'm going to get. And I also get to, to have their retirement plan I want. Like I, I was sharing with you that while we might make a little bit less in terms of dollar in our pocket, in our consulting practice, our retirement is currently 25% of of our gross salary just goes into an IRA. You've got to work at the practice for three years before you know before you get that. But still, it's like twenty five percent goes into an IRA. I've never had a nonprofit employer that that said, "Oh, we're just going to put money in your account in your IRA account, whether or not you put a dollar in." Never, ever, ever, ever had that. Yeah, and so I mean, at the risk of just pausing and just looking at the meta picture again for a second, neoliberalism is having an individual solution to a societal problem. And I very much don't want us to go down this road of everyone should be a consultant because our system is broken. Our system is broken and we should work on fixing it. Also, this is a way for you to have a better life now instead of waiting for the system to be fixed. And and that that's certainly fair. Um, I know you and I share very similar politics, and I think I think that is a hundred percent fair. Like just because we figure it out for ourselves doesn't mean we're then like, okay, well, I guess the system works. No, we still have no. to fix the system. Yeah, we do, and we're still living in a broken system that continues to reinforce this, you know, passion for the mission. Just do it for the mission over and over again. And sometimes we have such good fortune that we start to feel guilty. And I was talking with uh, a client. Sorry. Uh, you know, a friend recently, and she's going to have multi six figure year this year. And she said, I just feel so guilty. And I feel like this is common for women specifically, but like, 
you know, also for others of us working in the nonprofit sector, we look at how badly other people are doing and we then tamp down on our own joy and say, oh, I shouldn't have nice things. And it's very insidious, but it's also very Puritan. It's like, oh, no, you should have nice things. You should be giving to these causes. You should be, you know, uh, able to have and live the life that you want, making as much money as you want um, while still, you know, helping others, which is why you got into the sector in the first place. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Mazarin, I am grooving on this conversation, but I've also got to ask you an off the map question. And and I think I've got a good one because earlier in our conversation, very earlier, you mentioned gene key readings and human design readings. And mm-hmm. both of those are new terms for me. So this might not actually be that far off the map, but what are they? Oh, yeah. So, so last time you and I talked, we talked about uh, destiny cards, which is fun. Um, and so this kind of like... I feel it goes beyond astrology. So um, human design is based on astrology, the I Ching and the chakra system. It was downloaded by this guy named Ratru Hu in like the 80s in Ibiza. It's uh, it's a random thing that actually really helps people um, look at their shadow side and accept it. So if you are familiar with the concept of the Jungian shadow, it's like every part of us has like a light side and a dark side, or if you like a shadow and the part that we express right that the shadow we gets expressed too in who we don't like so you know um you and i talked about how we didn't like trump and you know there's a little trump in all of us and that's why we hated him so much because he's like so above reproach and doing these terrible things you know um i wouldn't say above reproach or above consequences right so human design is a process where like you start to understand yourself on a much deeper level and then the gene keys go uh basically it's like grad school for the soul it's like um how do i explain this it's it's non-denominational uh it's simply um a way to start understanding like the pattern for your life, what your life's purpose is. And like, I love doing this around careers, honestly. And there's like a whole part of the gene keys around careers. Um, You know, what is your culture? What is your, um, what is your vocation? Like, how do you express your uniqueness in this world? And when people have a hard time reconnecting with their joy again, or if they have a hard time figuring out the direction, I love to offer these because they start to get a deeper sense of what's been holding them back their whole lives. And that self-actualization journey is really what consulting is about. And I didn't realize that before I started. And I'm just so happy to be on it and so happy to be helping other people with it. Wow. That is so cool. Mazarin, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about gene key readings and, and human design readings. Again, like when I, when I heard that, I was like, okay, I got to ask, I got to ask about that. Um, now, obviously, listeners, I know that I promised you that we would share ways to get in touch with Mazarin. And so let me share a few URLs with you. The first one is mazarinetrays.com. And when you go there, you can find out about her podcast, Ask for More. Definitely should check that out. You can also find out about all of her courses that she's offering, coaching, etc. So make sure you go to mazarinetrays.com. Also, let me just share with you listeners that Mazarine is offering really an amazing opportunity, and that's a free taste of her coaching. And so 
it's a fairly long link to schedule that. We're going to share that link in the show notes because it is so long. If I read it out, everyone would just turn their podcast streamer off. They'd be yeah. like, ah, no, I'm going out of the next one. Just link it. Just link <laughs> exactly. It. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to link that. Um, and then also, listeners, we talked about the Nonprofit Consulting Conference. Make sure you check it out. If you are thinking about becoming a consultant, if you have just started your consulting journey, or if you're a really experienced consultant but are just looking to sharpen your own tool set a little bit, then make sure you go to nonprofitconsultingconference.com. That is happening in August, and I would certainly love to see you there. Mazarin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Dolph. All right, listeners, I hope that you loved that conversation with Mazarine Trays. And do not forget, you can always go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com to get the URL to schedule a free taste of coaching with Mazarine Trays, as well as to get information on her podcast, her other work, and the consulting conference. And listeners, you know, I always ask if you got value from today's conversation on the podcast, please share it with someone. You can share it with a link. You can also, by the way, rate and review the podcast, which I would certainly love if you did. And I'll share with you why. First of all, we all love to get feedback. Second of all, it helps other people find our podcast. So please make sure you go online and rate and review the podcast as well. And finally, if this episode was one that you thought, yeah, I got something really important out of this, I would suggest that you go back to episode 120, which was the last one that Mazarine was in. And that episode was about how to be a standout candidate, nail negotiations, and more. You could think of it as your career advice podcast with Mazarine Trays. That, listeners, is our show for today. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive. And the lawyers make me say it. I'm not an accountant nor an attorney. Neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for, guess what, accounting, legal, or tax advice. If that's what you're looking for, please find a licensed, qualified professional in your area who also specializes in the exact type of advice that you need and consult with them. If you don't know who to reach out to, you can always contact me. And if I know someone in your area, I'm happy to make the connection.